In the dark shadows of the Rue Morgue, to the rhythm of the stolen telltale heart, as the black cat swings upon the pendulum, and the cask offers its sherry deep and dry. As you knock at our chamber door, we open and usher you in. Our sleepless tales for you in store, and the terror shall be lifted. yourself for the no sleep podcast Welcome to the No Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, David Cummings. As we reach the end of Season 19, we look back on the many horror themes we've touched on. Inspired by this season's muse, Edgar Allan Poe, we have delved into the many concepts that instill fear in our hearts. And even though Poe used the metaphor of a beating heart to convey the horror of guilt and revenge, we all know that deep down the heart symbolizes love love and committing yourself to another person and when you want to commit yourself to someone in the most official of ways you consider being married to them and as we all know there is no such thing as horror to be found in a marriage now now stop thinking about all those true crime stories you've heard just because some married people end up inflicting all manner of of suffering and and torment and uh, murder Actually, come to think of it, I guess even love doesn't preclude one from experiencing horror. Yes, the horror of love. So, in that very bloody vein, we present this final episode of the season with the theme of people who find that marriage isn't all roses and sunshine. In some ways, perhaps this finale is the perfect time to consider separating ourselves from these dark themes at least until we return for the next episode. It's only fitting, therefore, at the beginning of the end, to hear one last reflection from the man himself. Poe often wrote of the pain and horror of a broken heart, lamenting the loss of one so dearly loved. And even when someone moves on and commits themselves to another, sometimes the loss can't be soothed. In this short verse, performed by Erica Sanderson, We meet a woman who has married a wealthy man. Ah, tis a shame there is someone else she dearly loves but can never have. So, lament, if you will, as we hear about this woman in The Bridal Ballad. The ring is on my hand and the wreath is on my brow. Satins and jewels grand are all at my command, and I am happy now. And my lord, he loves me well, but when first he breathed his vow, I felt my bosom swell, for the words rang like a knell, and the voice seemed his who fell in the battle down the dell, and who is happy now. But he spoke to reassure me, and he kissed my pallid brow, while a reverie came o'er me, 
and to the churchyard bore me, and I sighed to him before me, thinking him dead delore me. Oh, I am happy now. And thus the words were spoken, and this the plighted vow, and though my faith be broken, and though my heart be broken, behold the golden token that proves me happy now. Would God I could awaken, for I dream I know not how, and my soul is sorely shaken, lest an evil step be taken, lest the dead who is forsaken may not be happy now. It can be difficult to truly accept or understand what love is if you've lived most of your life experiencing the darker, dirtier side of, well, let's say, social intercourse. For a woman who has moved about selling her body to men during the gold rush, love is a fleeting thought. But in this tale, shared with us by author Jessica Peter, we meet Etty a woman who isn't keen on the idea of settling down with just one man. Performing this tale are Sarah Thomas, Aaron Lillis, Graham Rowett, Nicole Doolin, Danielle McRae, and Mary Murphy. So even if you equate commitment to imprisonment, it might not be all that bad, even if you end up being kept. The walls rattled in the hot, dry winds from the south. The cabin was so new that Eddie Dawes could still smell the pine boards as she stretched out on the soft mattress, arching her back like a cat. Two whole floors, and just her in it. Solitude was a gift, and she was gonna lap it up. The indentation from Hugh's wide back was still visible beside her, despite his pre-dawn rise to pan for gold at his claim. Hugh Wakefield. Eddie downright purred, thinking about what he'd given her. No more jumping between whore's quarters and brothels from one boomtown to the next, scrimping and scraping to send every penny back east to her sister and the boy. No more cramped quarters and shared beds with the other girls. No, sir. Eddie was a kept woman now. Even Hugh's big, calloused hands on her body by night were something. His desert rose, he called her. But last night, Hugh had said he loved her. Panic bloomed in Eddie's chest, a pulsing core of heat that made her breasts press against the tight fabric of her corset. Why, oh why, had she slept in the damn thing? She frantically scratched at the strings on her back with her broken fingernails until they loosened and she could finally breathe again. Love didn't have a place in her world. Love drove people to stupidity, to break away from comfortable. Eddie wanted comfortable, She wanted safe at last. Besides, she was too far past damaged for anyone to love. And it had only been seven days. Eddie rolled up her Thaha stockings and pulled her favorite skirt on top of them, artfully covering the hole in one stocking's knee. Hugh might offer to replace it now, but soon the gold would run out, as it always did, and Eddie'd be back fending for herself again. Unless it turned itself into a wedding band, she had to be smart like always. 
It wasn't until she was drinking strong, fresh-brewed coffee in the rough-hewn chairs that the silence started to scrape at the edges of her mind. Just a little tickle at first, then scrape, scrape, scrape. Ain't right. She jumped up, pacing around the confines of the boxy main room like a tiger she'd once seen in a traveling circus. She wasn't right. Wasn't enough alone and or around people. The ground floor of the cabin was dim, and the shadows only lengthened once she lit the oil lamps. The main room had no windows, only the side rooms did. Kitchen, first bedroom, and presumably, the locked room that Hugh had said she should never enter. Dark patterns danced on the walls as she tried to avoid that one. Eddie broke abruptly from her circuit to go straight back into the kitchen, where the murky glass window let in some of the blazing sun. She tilted her head to let it shine on her face. But she had to corral this house, make it her own. Shadows and mysteries are not. Eddie finished her coffee and plunked the mug on the counter, strode out to the main room, put her hands on her hips, and looked around. The locked door threatened to draw her in, so instead she turned purposefully the other direction. In the little bedroom, to her surprise, there was a touch of softness, a beautiful quilt, She pinched a corner of it, running her thumb and forefinger over the delicate stitchery. The white was too clean for a 49er like Hugh. Even freshly washed, the grit was still in his creases and under his nails. But someone must have made it for him. Eddie kicked herself for not asking of his family. And now she'd have another night before he was back. She shook her head and broke away from the quilt. She'd never been good at making anything with her hands. No. Eddie was only good at one thing. Turning from the pleasant first bedroom with a sour taste in her mouth, she turned to ponder the only other room in the house, the locked one. Eddie tried the door, despite Hugh's directions. Locked, as promised. She checked the drawer of the little table nearby, but Hugh had also said he kept the key on his person. The drawer was empty. She frowned at the door, and her nose was tickled by a chemical smell emanating from the room beyond. She shook her head and turned away, disquieted. But if she was going to be a kept woman, the least she could do was the chores, and the first of those was gathering water. After the 40-minute walk into town, Eddie arrived at the well, dusty and windblown. Three prospectors' wives were congregated there, heads ducked toward each other in a furtive gaggle of whispers. The modest colors of their clothes and bonnets, light blue, cream, and navy, marked the trio as proper women, just as sure as the gaudy fabric and vibrant scarlet of Eddie's skirt marked her as a soiled dove. Eddie groaned internally. Heaven protect her from proper women. Give her more whores or dance hall girls any day. The whispering intensified at her approach. Morning. She did not expect much in response. They looked at her as if she had grown three heads. About normal. Didn't like painted ladies, did they? Well... They'd come to the dead wrong town if they wanted to avoid sin. Eddie began to sneer, but then one spoke, the one in light blue. Morning. Victory stabbed at Eddie's chest, and she grinned like a cat who'd gotten into the preserved fish. The one in the dusty cream dress spoke next, spurred on. Pleasant day we're having, ain't it? Yes, ma'am. A glow of happiness brought heat to Eddie's cheeks. She was making conversation. But she never blushed, and this wasn't the time to start. She willed her treacherous blood to calm. 
You ain't the first. Pardon? Eddie thought she must be Miss Huron. Hughes. Instead of Coleman, the blush crept under Eddie's skin and flame in her blood all the way down her neck. Out of puzzlement, not embarrassment. Or at least, that's what she told herself. Then she mentally berated herself for being such a fool and forced that husky laugh that made men want her and made women want to claw her eyes out. <laughs> of course I ain't. He weren't mine. She waggled her eyebrows as if they were all in on a joke together. As if they weren't confusing her so much that her stomach tightened like she had the grip. Her hands clenched on the bucket handles, knuckles whitening. But instead of looking at her with envy, women tittered. Eddie swayed, off balance like a ship in a storm. She wasn't sure if she was in on the laughter or the butt of it. The third woman, who wore navy, had a surprisingly gentle voice. No, you weren't Hughes first. Kept woman. She whispered the last word, as if even saying it aloud would make her fall into the same situation. I weren't? Eddie had just assumed that Hugh had found her when he first got enough gold to line his pockets and build his house. But then again, there was the quilt. Where are they at now? All three women sobered, as serious now as if they'd just walked into church and got caught storytelling by the pastor. They exchanged a glance, and Eddie watched as Baby Blue's throat bobbed up and down in a rough swallow. They're gone. Gone? It wasn't that surprising. The whole town had practically sprung up overnight, after all. People came. People left. Left town? Not left. Disappeared. The woman in cream shook her head, and then brought a matching handkerchief to her mouth as if in prayer. Three different gals before you. All disappeared. Eddie scrunched her brow. I don't understand. Disappeared how? How can you even tell the difference? Not like the government's keeping tabs on us. The women turned to each other, as if willing the others to say what they weren't able to themselves. At last, the woman in Navy spoke. A kind one, maybe. It said that Mr. Wakefield has mighty strange ideas about women... Hugh's been nothing but sweet to me. The comment brought out Eddie's quills, her back prickling like a porcupine. But it also stirred a memory. The first time Hugh had come home to her, huge and sweating from the day on the river, he had looked at her with such a dead expression in his eyes that Eddie felt actual fear. After so many years of so many Johns, she had a bit of an intuition. She knew when a new man was going to be into the rough stuff, the ones that would flout the rules of her brothel. Usually she could manage. With luck, the John would leave her with only a black eye. At the time, she'd written off that thrum and fear as anxiety. Worry over being in a new place, in a new position, with a new man. But what if she were wrong, and that was her whisper-sharp sixth sense, trying to tell her to get the hell out? Then there was that damned locked room, and now these women looking at her with sympathy shining in their church lady eyes. Best get away from him while you still can, girl. Eddie's loyalty to Hugh battled for control. What he'd done for her, fighting it out with a very real anxiety of what he could do to her. After all, she had no semi-sympathetic madam to keep her safe anymore. Eddie finally huffed, straightening her back and tilting her head up haughtily. <sighs> Ma'am... 
I'm bought and paid for. Then she turned on her heel, making as if she was ignoring their chatter. But she heard one of them say, That Wakefield's a monster. He did something to those lost souls. Mark my words. And a coldness had settled around her heart, ass-blocking it, protecting her. It took a few moments, buckets of water in her hands, that she realized her feet were taking her on their well-worn path toward the saloon and the bedrooms above it. No more. She readjusted the heavy buckets. I've got my own place now. As much as she could say it was her own. Sweat pooled on her brow as the sun beat down on her. The dark heartbeat of the house enveloped her as soon as she settled the water in the kitchen and entered the main room. Eddie whimpered. It was full light outside, damn it. The room shouldn't be all shadowed. There was a window in the kitchen, a window in the extra bedroom. Could there be a window in the locked room? She was outside, tracing the splintered wood exterior wall with her hand before she knew it. The prickly scrub brush alongside the building snagged her dress, but she ignored it, made it to the back, and gazed on a blank wood panel. No window, just wall. Strange for the cabin style. The locked room kept its secrets. The lonely night in the cabin didn't help. Eddie didn't sleep a wink with the constantly creaking walls. The longer she was awake, the more obsessed she became with the locked door. Finally, Eddie lit her oil lamp and headed downstairs. She held the lamp to the crack under the door and laid down beside it, rough floor tickling the soft skin of her cheek. At first, she could see nothing. Then something came into focus. Not a shape, but a color. The floor and walls were a rusty red brown, as if coated in. Eddie gasped and pulled away. As she did so, though, she knocked the lantern with a brush of her skirt. It fell over, spilling oil and flame across the wooden floor. She grabbed the only thing nearby that could smother the fire, the lovely quilt from the second bedroom just across the hall. She threw it over the gently licking flames, patting it down as best she could. Thankfully, the flames went out, and Eddie sat back on her heels, letting out a shaky breath. Then she looked down at the blanket and felt no small part of grief. The one beautiful thing in this house, gone. Something too beautiful for her tarnished self to keep a hold of. The scent of smoke hung thickly in the air, but the locked room looked like it was coated in blood. The ladies in town said Hugh's other women never made it out of town, and now Eddie was thinking the same. She couldn't see a damned thing through the crack but the red. In her mind's eye, she saw the worst. Shackles and slender bones, or a delicately desiccated body, packed away in a chest. Bleach on top of it all to clean the gore off the walls and cover up the stench. Soft chemical smells seeping out. Eddie trudged back upstairs, the shadows dancing around her as the oil lamp made them jump along the walls. She dug in her single chest of belongings, burrowing through the brightly colored fabrics until she found the plain linen sack. Inside, she pulled out that friendly acquaintance that had come between her and a problem several times already, her little pepper box pistol. She fingered the delicate scroll work on the side, faded now. Then she tucked it into her voluminous skirts. It was full dark when Eddie woke, dry-mouthed on the bed. The lack of shifting shadows from the staircase said that no other lamps were lit. 
Relief coursed through her. At least she'd woken before Hugh had made it home. She walked downstairs cautiously, carrying her own lamp, the constant thrumming feeling of the locked room pressing on her. Eddie, where you been? Eddie jumped, but forced herself into her practiced horror mode, the faux syrupy person she'd sworn up and down she'd never use with Hugh. Hey, darling. So happy to see you. She hoped her voice didn't quaver. You didn't answer my question. Just upstairs, sweet. You're not happy here? His words were even, but Eddie could detect the telltale smell of alcohol. Of course, darling. Mind if I bring this lantern over? Bit dark in here. There was a sudden brightness as he turned up a lantern that had been sitting beside him, near blind and Eddie. But she could still make out his figure at the table, half-empty bottle of whiskey at hand. He was massive. Of course she'd known, but she'd never felt small in his presence before. Better. Better. There was a pause that lengthened, wrapped around them like a choking snake ready to make them suffer. You destroy that blanket out of jealousy? Eddie's heart ticked an extra beat as she looked down at the charred remnants of the quilt in front of her. No, you never. It was an accident. The flame from the... She trailed off as he turned to face her. His eyes were cold and hard, obsidian chips in a weathered face. Eddie couldn't remember ever seeing heat in them anymore. What happened to your other women? The anxious curiosity was too strong to ignore. You've been talking to them gossip queens in town. He chuckled humorlessly, shaking his head before meeting her eyes again. The other woman left. Left of her own accord. As Eddie shifted, positioning herself closer to the door but still facing him, his eyes tracked her every motion, as if he could see inside her very head. Why, Eddie? What do you think of me? Hugh's words were measured, but no less intense for it. Her imagined corpses danced before Eddie's eyes as she tried to see Hugh again like she had before. A good man. A man that was giving her a chance. Abruptly, he stood, a hulking bear of a man amidst the dancing shadows, his face contorted in resentment. You're just like them. He took a step toward her, and she knew he was going to do to her what he did to the others. Frantically, Eddie pulled out her pistol, long-time practice the only thing keeping her form ideal, despite the frantic clamor of terror rattling inside her brain. She gripped with both hands and fired. The shot went off. A pinpoint of blood appeared on Hugh's chest, left middle. At this distance, her aim was near perfect. Hugh gurgled, slumping to his knees, but he didn't go all the way down. Not yet. He looked at the bullet wound in his chest, and then up at Eddie, his mouth puckered in surprise. Goddamn, Eddie. Then Hugh collapsed, face first on the floor. The gun dropped out of Eddie's hand and clattered away, her careful muscle memory of form lost with Hugh's laugh. She leaned heavily against the wall, panting and frantic, trying to catch her breath. She looked at Hugh's prone body and saw a bright glint under his must hair at the back, the chain that held the key to the locked room. Hands still trembling, Eddie unclasped the chain. The key itself was sticky red with blood so she wiped it clean on her skirt before walking tentatively over to the door, biting rising bile. She slid the key in the lock and found 
a room, freshly painted red, with a big canopy bed hung with red curtains. Eddie blinked, utterly bemused. No shackles, no bodies. Instead, her favorite color, and a feminine painting on the wall with a pink flower in a scrubby setting. A desert rose. She stuck her fist to her mouth, biting her skin so hard it left indents. Coppery taste of her lover's blood on her tongue. Only then did she notice the little table. On the table was a scrap of paper with her name written in all capitals, rat and shaky and unpracticed. As she drew nearer in mountain horror, she saw on that paper sat a ring, a delicate golden wen band. concludes its 19th season with an epic tale from author C.K. Walker. In it, we meet two sisters. Devoted to each other, they struggle after a fateful night when one sister has a rather trippy experience which makes her question reality and time itself. We are proud to present our special guest stars, Kate Siegel and Samantha Sloyan, starring in this story that, like our season, is quickly running out of time. Because, as we'll soon learn, it's later than you think. Come on, one more? Can't! Gotta drive. Matt and I have to be up early tomorrow. Wedding shit? Yep. We've only got a few more months. My invite must have gotten lost in the mail. (laughs) Eric, I see you like once a year. How's the wedding planning going anyway? I shrugged at him over a plastic cup of weak vodka soda. Well, it's all pretty much done. We mostly spend our weekends making centerpieces and waiting around for something to go wrong. Matt holding up all right? Uh, yeah. He's a trooper. It's Gia that I've been driving crazy. I heard my name. Of all the people in the world, my sister, Gia, was my favorite. We were as close as twins, and I was godmother to her son, Wyatt. She leaned into the room from the doorway, two shot glasses in her hands. You must be the maid of honor. (laughs) Maid of dishonor, am I right? Gia stumbled over and threw her arms around me. You love me. I do. What are you drinking? Is that water, Lainey? Uh, it's soda water. Just soda water? Relax, Gia. It's the only one I've had tonight. Gia narrowed her eyes at me and then swung me around and grabbed me by my head, her hazy eyes finding mine. You're the one who insisted on driving, and you better be good. You've got precious cargo on board. I know. I'll be careful. Matt's at home waiting for you. He is. Eric made the sound of a whip crack. 
Not even married and already whipped. <laughs> I stuck my tongue out at him. It's love, dumbass. Oh, yeah? Why didn't he come tonight? Gia and I exchanged a look. Matt hadn't come because he was babysitting Wyatt. The truth was that I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I never had, and tonight was sort of serving as my bachelorette night, even if it was my friend Alex's birthday party. Having my sister here as well was Matt's gift to me. Wyatt was three and a lot to handle. He was giving us the gift of time together, and I loved him for it. He had wedding shit to do. Now come on, Lainey, say your goodbyes. Fine. I made my way around the party, leaving hugs and empty promises to catch up in my wake. Eventually, there was only the birthday girl left to say goodbye to. Hey, Eric, you seen Alex? Basement, playing cards. Of course. Alex loved poker. I found her sitting at a table with four other people at the bottom of the basement stairs. They were all hyper-focused on their cards, and I made it around the table to her chair before Alex noticed me. Lainey! You want in for a hand? Can't. I'm sorry. I gotta head out. Early morning wedding stuff. What are you playing? We are... Um, we honestly have no idea. <laughs> she looked off behind me at God knew what. The only thing back there was a wall. Alex's friend Dylan was sitting next to her. Poker, sometimes. Also war. Uh, we're also playing hearts. Are you guys that drunk? Alex staggered to her feet and threw her arms around me. Not drunk, but we are a little high. <laughs> By high, she, she means tri tripping balls. <laughs> tripping balls. <laughs> Christ, Alex. What? It's my birthday. <laughs> what are you on? Mushrooms. We got some left if you want to try them. <laughs> no, thanks, but I gotta drive, like I said. Oh, they they take almost an hour to kick in. Well... What could I say to that? I'd never done anything harder than pot in my life. Please, Lainey, it's my birthday! But I won't even be here when they kick in. I know, but just knowing you're having fun is enough for me. Oh, come on, Lane, live life a little bit. It's later than you think. I'm 25. Right, but have you seen the state of the world? <laughs> I, I don't know. Matt's the one that'll have to deal with me tonight if I have a bad trip. You won't, I promise. These are so good. Dylan got them for my birthday. <laughs> Please, it'll be your present to me. I looked around the table, thinking. Maybe just a quarter dose of whatever you guys took? Yeah! <laughs> okay, Dylan, move. Lainey, sit down. Hey, Dylan, make Lainey a tea. A tea? Yeah, it's the best way to take them. Go pour a glass of hot water. Uh, you know, these are normal mushrooms, Alex. She'll be fine. Alex waved her hand dismissively in my direction. And what if she's not? She's going home. Her fiancé will take care of her. All right, but... Oh, just shut up, Dylan. She's fine. He shrugged and went over to make my tea. Um, listen, Alex. I've, I've never done mushrooms before, so if these are special somehow... Oh, mushrooms are special. It's your first time. They should be special. 
Okay, but please, you guys, give me the lightest dose possible, a, a, a micro dose. Alex snorted and kicked the empty seat next to her. <laughs> Sit. I sat down and let her deal me into a hand of whatever they were playing. Dylan set the tea down in front of me and I sipped it as fast as I could. I lost the first hand and the second, but by the third, I was starting to pick up the game. Shit, Lainey. Good hand. Thanks. It was total luck. I threw my cards on the table and glanced at my empty glass before standing up. You said these things kick in an hour? My drive is 10 minutes, so I better go. Don't want to risk it. I told you, girl, have a little fun. I will at home. She's so responsible for a goat. (laughs) Alex giggled and then fell to the floor laughing. Okay, well, hers have kicked in. I left them behind to take the stairs back to the party. Good luck, Lane! (laughs) I wouldn't need luck. I was getting the hell out of there now. I'd just reached my car when the shrill sound of thunderstruck by ACDC cut through the already icy autumn air. I dug my phone out and answered it just as I fell into the car. Hello? Laney, what the hell were you doing in the basement for so long? Are you really only leaving just now? Calm down. I was saying bye to Alex and playing a few hands of cards. No more drinking? No. I told you I only had half a drink and a weak one at that. I poured it myself. Good. Precious cargo. I remember. Drive careful, okay? This time of year, there's a lot of deer out and you are taking the back roads. I know. I will. I gotta go. I'm on a race against the clock. I hung up the phone without a goodbye and backed out of Alex's driveway, surprised that I wasn't blocked in. The drive home was quiet at first. No music, no podcast, just silence. I'd lived in rural Missouri all my life. The nights were quieter here, just bugs and occasionally a melancholy wind. My phone rang. Matt. I answered with a smile. Hey, baby. Hey, have you left yet? I did. I'm on the two now. Why are you calling? I think you know why I'm calling. Maybe I do, but tell me anyway. I just really needed to hear your voice. Having a tough time with Wyatt? No, I love him. I know you do. I can't wait to marry you, Lainey. I love you. I know you do. I'll see you in a few minutes. Drive safe. Bye. Bye. I chucked the phone into the seat beside me. I was only a few minutes from home when I saw it. I didn't know what it was. I only saw that it was black and gangly, like a very long-legged deer. The thing was running on all fours, but its limbs were so elongated that they seemed to have no joints. It was taller than any deer I've ever seen, and thinner, darker in color, and I couldn't see its head at all. And it was running alongside my car. My car that was going 40 miles an hour. What the fuck?! I jerked the steering wheel to the left, away from the thing. But it followed me into the other lane. What is that? I jerked the car toward it this time, trying to hit the creature off the road. 
I felt the car connect with its body and I saw it fly up into the air and into the woods beyond. I struggled to keep my shaking hands on the wheel. I put the pedal down and gunned it as tears of fear ran down my face. The turnoff for my road was only a mile away. Oh my god, what, what the, what the fuck, what is it, what is that thing? As if called by my whispered questions, I saw the creature again breach my periphery. It was running hard out of the woods, coming straight at my passenger side door. I could see the top of its head now, bent low as it charged my car. No! I screamed and jerked the wheel in the other direction. The creature glanced off the car, but it didn't matter. I had overcorrected, turned too hard. I slammed my foot into the brake pedal as the car careened over the other lane, the shoulder, the slight ditch, and then rolled and rolled and rolled while I held on and begged it to stop. Please stop. Please stop. I don't want to die. I didn't wake up in a mangled car, or on the side of the road, or in an ambulance. I woke up in my bed, next to Matt, who was stroking my arm and texting on his phone. I stretched my back until it cracked, and then took stock of my body, which felt mostly normal. Oh my god. What time is it? Um, nine-ish. Matt brought my hand to his lips and kissed my palm. I groaned again and stretched out my legs under the covers. Felt like something was biting into my hip. What is that? It hurts. I reached down and rubbed the raw spot on my hip. I thought I felt something nip me and sat up to pull back the covers. Nothing was there. And my body looked normal. Didn't even feel bruised. I rolled over and looked at Matt. What happened last night? He glanced over at me and frowned, then set his phone down on the nightstand. You don't remember what happened last night? No. What time did I get home from the party? Uh, around 11. You were a wreck. Why are you talking like that? Like what? Like you need coffee. A lot of coffee. Are you calling me slow? I'm saying that you're talking slow. So, I... I drove home fine. The car is fine? Yeah, why wouldn't it be? I might have... No. I definitely did take some mushrooms last night. Like magic mushrooms? Yes, don't give me that look. I'm sorry, okay? Alex was pressuring me, saying it's all she wanted for her birthday. They must have kicked in on the way home. And I saw some real weird shit on the way home. Fuck. I don't even remember pulling into the garage. Jesus, Lane, what do you remember? I thought for a moment and then laughed. <sighs> uh, <laughs> like a, a demon or something. It was in the road and I swerved to avoid it. It charged me and I remember rolling the car trying to get away from it. But you said the car's fine? Yeah, it's in the garage. Looked fine to me. You definitely weren't in an accident. I hopped out of bed and ran down the stairs and into the garage. The car was there, like Matt said, and it was perfectly fine. Also, like he said, 
I walked around the entire thing, not a scratch on it that wasn't already there. You know, you really shouldn't drive on drugs. Matt was leaning against the door jamb, frowning. It's dangerous, and you could have gotten hurt. I left in plenty of time, I swear, I did. I don't know why they kicked in so early. Did you eat last night? Yeah, I had a late lunch with Gia. Where did you eat? Uh, Salad Depot. (sighs) Matt sighed and left the doorway. He put his arms around me from behind and rested his head on my shoulder. Laney, you really shouldn't do drugs when you know so little about them. I turned in his arms and raised an eyebrow at him. What's that supposed to mean? He pulled me into his chest. It means that drugs always kick in faster if you haven't eaten. Alex didn't tell me that. Alex was probably tripping balls. She was. I tucked my head into his neck. She thought I was a goat. (laughs) Matt laughed, but his voice was so lethargic I didn't like the sound. You are a goat. But that's offensive. Uh Uh-uh. Greatest of all time. Good lord, Matt. Talk faster. You're like a sloth. Go put on some coffee. You're practically comatose. I'm going. I'm going to take a shower. Did Gia pick up Wyatt last night? Or did she come this morning? Matt turned back to me. She came this morning, around seven. Wow, I can't believe she was up that early. Well, she wasn't in a great mood. (laughs) 7 a.m.? Gia never is. I took a shower and got dressed, leaving my hair wet and sad-looking because I had no plans to go out in public. Twenty minutes later, I walked into the kitchen, wet hair in a bun, and went to the fridge for a bagel. We need a new shower head. Our water pressure is shit this morning. I pulled out the cream cheese and dug in the drawer for a knife. Matt? I turned around and found him standing at the coffee pot, watching it fill from the drip. Jesus, how slow is that thing? Everything in this house is falling apart. I think it's just you. You're going a million miles an hour this morning. What are you talking about? I just took a 20-minute shower. (laughs) Matt turned to face me and frowned. Lane, you were only in there for like three minutes. What? You're high. Maybe you're still high from last night. I gave him the side eye. I think I would know if I were tripping on mushrooms right now. (laughs) Didn't seem like you knew it last night. I hocked the knife into the sink, the resonating clang completely satisfying. I don't want to talk about last night anymore. Everything worked out fine. I'm fine. The car is fine. What I do want to know is why you're acting so weird. Why you're still talking like that. I'm not talking like anything, Lane. Yes, you are, and I really think you're doing it to piss me off. You know what? Fuck this. I'm going out. He pulled a mug from the cupboard and dropped it next to the coffee maker. That's for you. I don't need coffee. And quite frankly, I don't think you do either. It's like you're on coke this morning. Oh, fuck you, Matt. And where are you going? We have shit to do today. Yeah, well, maybe we can do it separately. Are you serious right now? Yeah, Laney, I am serious right now. I don't know what the fuck your problem is. He started to walk out of the room. 
Where are you going? The gym. Shit. Matt, wait. Let me come with you. I'm sorry, okay? I really am. I know I'm acting like a bitch this morning. I need a few hours to myself, Lainey. Are you sure? He let the slam of the garage door be his answer. I looked down at my perfectly made bagel and then frowned at it and threw it in the trash. I hated that we were fighting this close to the wedding. Why couldn't I have just dropped it? Matt was having an off day and I had to be a bitch after he took care of me all night. I made a sound of disgust and turned towards the coffee pot. It still wasn't even half full. You too, huh? Slow today? It's going around. I poured what was there into the mug and added some milk. I knew what I needed to do. Talk to Gia. She was good at managing men, Matt included. I picked up my phone to call her. The dialing and the ringing were slow as dirt, because of course, everything was today. Gia picked up. Hello? I'm coming over. There was silence a moment, as if Gia was thinking. <sighs> Fine. But bring iced coffee. I'll be there in 20. Wyatt's little three-year-old voice was one of the cutest in existence. Seriously, that kid could do voiceover work for Disney. I scooped him into my arms. Sheriff Wyatt, how you doing, kiddo? <laughs> he giggled. Bad. Why bad? I miss Mommy. She's right here. I pointed to Gia, seated on the opposite couch, who gave her son a big smile. Silly Wyatt, Mommy's right here. Now, why don't you leave Auntie Lane alone and go watch cartoons? Batman! Batman! Uncle Matt likes Batman. <laughs> he does. Now go, Scamp. Man, I love being that kid's aunt. And Godmother. And Godmother. A beat of expectant silence fell as Wyatt ran out of the room. I took a deep breath. Gia, something's wrong with me today. Gia frowned and sat up as we heard Batman cartoons flick on in the other room. What do you mean? Like, that's about the wedding? No, no, nothing like that. I've been... I feel like, like I'm going a million miles an hour and everything around me is just slow. Even you. <laughs> I was wondering why you were talking so fast. Like, this morning, in my car, 40 miles an hour felt like 15. The drive through at Starbucks took a really freaking long time. Well, that's not unusual. And everyone is moving and talking really slowly. Ever since I woke up. You said you only had one drink last night? I did. But, like, I also might have taken some mushrooms. Elena. Alex gave them to me for her birthday. I took them and I left, like, 15 minutes later. They weren't supposed to kick in until after I got home. But? Well... They did! In the car. On the way there. What? Please just listen to me. I was driving and I remember this, this thing, this creature attacking me. And I rolled the car trying to get away from it. But when I woke up this morning, the car was parked in the garage without a scratch on it. So you hallucinated all of that? Yes. 
but that doesn't explain why everything is moving slower today than I am. It's surreal. Could I still be tripping? If Alex gave them to you, yes. She gets some weird designer drugs sometimes. Gia, I even started the stopwatch on my phone and I counted the seconds myself. Everything is three times slower. You're still tripping. Shit, did you drive over here? Yeah. You know Matt is going to kill you. See, that's the other thing. We got into a fight this morning and he just left to go cool off at the gym. Shit. Yeah. We've been together five years and apparently I still know how to push his buttons. Yeah, well, at least you've got a man. I frowned. Have you... Have you made any more progress on finding Wyatt's dad? Gia's eyes fell to the floor. Honestly, I stopped looking. Why? Because it's pointless. Lainey, he's never going to be with me. But he could still be a father to Wyatt, give you a break sometimes. Don't worry about finding someone, Gia. He's out there. Yeah. So, how are you and Matt? Do you feel... Happy? Or is it more like musical chairs where you... Thunderstruck filled the room and I glanced down at my phone. Speak of the devil. I held up a finger to my sister and answered the call. All right, Alex, what the hell did you give me last night? Uh, good morning. Seriously, I am still on a psychedelic trip right now. That seems very unlikely. I'm just calling to make sure you made it home. Yeah, I did. At least... I think I did. I shot Gia a look and she rolled her eyes. I hallucinated that I crashed on the two. Oh, fuck. But, but you didn't. You made it home, right? You told me that I had an hour. Lainey! I'm freaking out, Alex. Does everything seem slower to you today? <sighs> Just sleep some more and you'll be okay. And listen, if you need any. I need to see a fucking doctor. Bye, Alex. I ended the call and hung up. I gotta go. Matt and I still have a lot to do today. Are you sure you should be driving? Fuck no, but I don't have a choice. You still have me. Let me drive you. No, don't worry about it. I gotta make a stop anyway. My stop was the so-called crash site on the tube. I'd combed over my car that morning, inside and out, but there were no dings, blood, or engine problems. I don't know what I expected to see out here, maybe some run-over trees or a broken guardrail. But when I arrived, I saw none. I parked on the shoulder, knowing I was at the site where the crash had taken place in my mind. I walked up and down, studying the woods, but nothing was out of place. So there it was. I was simply still under the effects of the mushrooms. And I knew this because the bird calls were lazier. Cars drove by slower. The wind barely moved my hair when it blew around me. I sat back down in the driver's seat of my car and faced out into the woods, head in hand. What was happening to me? Could a drug permanently damage your brain? Would it always be like this? Thank God I'd be covered under Matt's health insurance once we were married. I might end up needing a neurologist or something. 
I lifted my head out of my hands to finally turn on the ignition when I saw something move out in the woods. I squinted my eyes, trying to make out shapes in the darkness beyond the tree line. I didn't see it until it moved again, and I could make the thing out this time. Its body gained definition. And height. Oh my god. I immediately knew it for what it was. The thing from the night before. Bigger and much taller now. And then I lost it in the shadows again. The next time it moved, it was much, much closer. I jumped. Adrenaline spiked. I looked down at my phone. It was a text from Matt. I'm sorry, Lainey. Please come home. We should talk. Fuck. You shouldn't be alone right now. I turned my body into the car before slamming the door. Why couldn't I have nice hallucinations like puppies or sexy foreign people? I found Matt in the kitchen making Supa Toscana when I came home. As soon as I walked in, I could smell the soup. Oh my god, baby. Did you seriously make me my favorite food ever? He turned around from the stove and smiled at me. Apologies, Soup. God, you're the best. I walked over and hugged him around the middle. Oof, smells amazing. You're getting really good at making this. Anything for my best girl. <laughs> I better be your only girl. Matt smiled softly at me before his face sobered. Listen, Lainey, I, I wanted to say that I'm sorry for this morning. I sighed into his chest as he kissed my head. I'm sorry, too. You're still talking really fast. I'm, I'm guessing you're still feeling weird. I drew in a fortifying breath. I think I'm still high. <laughs> Alex really does get the good stuff, doesn't she? Yeah. How's Wyatt doing? I frowned and lifted my head from Matt's chest to stare at him. You just saw him last night. Well, I just wanted to know if he missed me. <laughs> well, he certainly missed me. He said nothing about you. He was thinking it, though. Oh, yeah. We're totally his favorite godparents. How do you know I went to Gia's? Uh, because it's Wyatt's birthday? He said it as if it were obvious, and it should have been. I suddenly felt like falling over. Oh my god, it is his birthday. I don't deserve to be his favorite godparent or his favorite aunt. I didn't get him any... Oh my god, I didn't even tell him happy birthday this morning. Matt pulled me back into a hug. Relax, baby. We have dinner at your parents' house tomorrow. We can give them the presents then. Besides, you've been busy tripping on mushrooms all day. Oh my god, <laughs> I have to call him at least. You do that. I'll fix you some soup. Oh god, thank you. I'm not even upset about your sloth voice right now. I started to walk out of the room. Hey, Lane. Yeah? I turned back, phone already to my ear. Matt's face was serious. Can we talk about something when I get back from Target? Why are you going to Target? To get the centerpiece supplies we didn't get this morning. You know, because I went to the gym and you went to Gia's. Oh, right. Are you sure you want to talk while I'm still on mushrooms? <laughs> no. No, I guess not. It should wear off by tonight. I realized I had no idea if that was true. God, I hope so. 
Matt pulled a bowl down from the cupboard and started ladling soup into it. Can't believe how good you've gotten at making soup at Toscana. I learned it because it's your favorite. I know. How long are you going to be gone? Maybe an hour. Longer on the mushroom clock. <laughs> Don't forget the label maker. It was a short call since Wyatt was going down for a nap. I got to talk to Gia for a few before her doorbell rang and she had to go. The soup was delicious, but spicy as fuck, and my mouth was still burning when I laid down on the couch to catch up on some work emails. I don't know when I fell asleep. It couldn't have been long after Matt left, but I woke up in pain. It wasn't my burning tongue, but my hand, which was dangling off the couch while I slept. The pain was sharp and biting. I tried to pull my hand up, and I was surprised to feel a tug instead. It was trapped inside of something, two sharp somethings. And the more conscious I became, the more I could feel what it was. Gnawing teeth. I screamed, rolled away from it, backed up on the couch and stared at it as I clutched my hand, bitten raw but bleeding very little. But it hardly had my attention. I saw the animal that had been eating my hand, tearing at my flesh. It was the one from the woods, from the crash, the monster. It was much smaller. Very small, in fact, the size of a dog at best. I took in a deep breath to scream again, and it ran, jumped through the curtains, out the window, but there was no shatter of glass, no window panes broken. The thing had vanished. It was just gone. As soon as I could move, I ran to the kitchen and rinsed my hand for a few seconds, trying to remind myself it was probably a hallucination and I was okay. The thing had run at normal speed. My speed. It was definitely a figment of my mind. And I confirmed that when I looked down and I saw my hand intact. I kept it under the water anyway, and I stared out the window above our kitchen sink. Even in my terrified state, there was something to see outside. Matt and I had bought a shitty house, but with a great view of the city. Our plan had always been to flip it after the wedding, but Matt was less enthusiastic about that these days. Still, at least it had an amazing view. As I looked down over the city, trying to get control of my breathing, I realized there was a part I couldn't see. The outskirts. It was winter and getting dark already. But there was never a night that I couldn't see the lights from rural houses near the mountains. The street lamps, at least. But tonight, outside of the city, everything was as black as if there were nothing there at all. I couldn't deal with any more hallucinations. I was going to kill Alex. still happening, Gia. I forced a wobbly breath and tried to keep myself from crying. By the time Matt had come home the night before, I had collected myself just enough to fake my way through the rest of the night. We made wedding favors and then watched Netflix until he fell asleep. I don't think that trips normally last this long. She studied my eyes. Your eyes aren't dilated, though. Yeah, but last night I tried to sleep and every minute felt like an hour. And TV is pointless because everything I watch is basically in slow motion with even slower sound. I don't know what's happening to me. Lainey, maybe it's time you went to the hospital. You know I can't afford the urgent care, then. Gia, 
I'm getting married soon. I don't have money for urgent care. I'll pay for it. With what? You're a single mother without child support. No, I'm not doing that to you. I'm not that bad off, Lane. Yeah, what are you doing? You hooking on Tinder for money? That was shitty. That was shitty. I'm sorry. That was so shitty. I just feel so frustrated. I know. I'll have insurance as soon as Matt and I get married. It's a qualifying event, and I will go and get checked then. What if you still feel like this at the wedding? Fuck. I hadn't thought of that. Well, it's months away, at least. Months? You don't think it's permanent, do you? I can't be living in this slowed-down world by the wedding. So can we go to the hospital? Urgent care. It's cheaper. I'll ask Matt to take me. Honestly, I want to take you. I never get to see you anymore. You're so buried in Matt and all this wedding stuff. The truth was I missed her, too. We'd always been close. I yelled out to Matt in the other room. Hey, babe, can you watch Wyatt for a couple hours? Gia thinks I need to go to urgent care. Matt walked into the room, Wyatt on his hip, squealing. <laughs> oh, you mean Batman? Sure, I'll watch Batman. I'm Batman! <laughs> I snorted and looked over at a smiling Gia. <laughs> oh, you know what that means for you. Miss Ortega, I'm going to need you to remain still. Sorry, I, I really am trying not to move. For the EEG to get accurate readings, we need to place the nodes pretty precisely. You're twitching. She's been going a mile a minute since she took the drugs. Could they have given her some sort of, like, cocaine-laced mushrooms? Shut up, Gia. This is serious. I am being serious. All right, ladies, an argument isn't helping. Sorry, I just... I'm stressed that I went to urgent care and then they sent me here and now the medical bills are stacking up and I won't have insurance until- I doubt the urgent care center will bill you. You needed an MRI and they don't have one of those machines. That's why they sent you here. But we did the MRI and you said it didn't tell you anything. No one's telling us anything at all. I said the MRI didn't tell me anything conclusive. Can you lie still for the next 30 minutes? Yes, ma'am. I nodded. Which earned me a scowl. Completely still. And you, Gia, why don't you wait in the chairs outside and I'll have someone bring you in when we're finished. Okay. See you in a few, Lainey. Ugh, she's been gone a long time. Hey, I've been waiting in here 20 minutes longer than you have. She brought in a couple other doctors during the EEG, and then you, and then they all left. I'm sure it's fine, Lanny. If it wasn't, they'd have a crash cart and be wheeling you into the ER. I swung my foot back and forth off the side of the bed. You're so dramatic. Maybe they didn't find anything. It's true. We don't even know if you have a brain. I used my foot to push Gia's rolling stool away. You're such a bitch. We heard a knock at the door, and no less than four doctors entered, stone-faced and serious. And they were all looking at me. My cheeks suddenly felt very cold. What? What did you find? Am I dying? Am I going to be like this forever? Gia rolled back over to me and took my hand. You're not dying. 
Elena, we need to admit you. What? For how long? Dr. Patel traded a look with another doctor. This is Dr. Berg. He's a neurologist here. He'd like to run some more tests on your brain. What's wrong with her brain? I could detect anger in Gia's voice. Dr. Berg sat down on another stool and rolled it closer to the bed. He studied me with a focus that made me uncomfortable, like he thought I was getting away with some sort of trick. To be honest, Miss Ortega, we... We can't understand or explain what's happening to you. What did the test show? He looked back at another doctor who nodded before continuing. The EEG shows very minimal brain activity. I leaned back on my arms to get some distance from this dude's intensity. How is that possible? I I feel normal for the most part. I'm, I'm walking, I'm talking. And that's what's baffling, quite honestly. Remember that I had you move around during the test? I pinched you, had you read and recite things back to me? We do not usually do that during an EEG test. So, what were the results? Inconclusive. Her brain activity was almost non-existent. Does that mean I'm, like, functionally dead or something? No. Oh no, Miss Ortega, you are very much alive. We're flying in a specialist from Belgium the day after tomorrow. From Belgium? I hopped off the bed and began putting on my shoes. That's... <laughs> That sounds expensive. That sounds really fucking expensive. Come on, Gia. We're leaving. Elena. Miss Ortega, please. I implore you. No. Schedule it for after January 14th. That's when I'll have insurance. But Miss Ortega, I... Gia, let's go. They tried to stop us from leaving the room, the wing, the floor. They even followed us down to the lobby. Dr. Patel even trailed us to the parking lot, but I refused to stay or listen to anything more she had to say. We climbed into the car and slammed the doors shut. Get me out of here. Gia threw the car into drive. We drove out of the parking lot and I waited until I could no longer see Dr. Patel in the rearview mirror before I spoke again. This never happened. Seriously, Gia, tonight at Mom and Dad's for Wyatt's birthday, please do not bring this up. Wyatt's birthday? Please. I don't want to talk about this with them. I just want to have a normal dinner, okay? Okay, but Lainey, Wyatt's birthday was in July. I gaped at her. July? Gia, Wyatt's birthday was yesterday. I called and I sang to him. You were standing right next to him making fun of my singing when we were on the phone. The blood left Gia's face and her knuckles turned white on the steering wheel. That happened months ago, Lainey. What? No! Yesterday was Wyatt's birthday! I know that it was! Wyatt was born on July 17th, not in November. You know that! You're wrong. You're fucking with me and everybody is fucking with me! Gia took her eyes off the road to scowl at me. I'm not fucking with you and I'm not wrong either. I know the day my son was born. I will call Matt right now. Matt knows why it's birthday. So do I. It's July 17th. A silence filled the car as Gia let me process what I just said. Oh my god. It's November. His birthday was... What's happening to me, Gia? 
Gia looked over at me, her face pale. I don't know, Lainey, but I'm scared. So am I. You really need to figure this out. I need to figure this out? You need to remember. Remember what? Everything. Lainey, it's later than you think it is. The tears in my eyes spilled over and ran down my face. I don't even know what that means. Gia gripped the steering wheel tighter and stared out the windshield. You have to try, Lainey. Oh, God. I dropped my head into my hands. What was happening to me? Fuck. My god, Elena, slow down. There's plenty of food. I've never seen someone eat so fast. I think she's on something. My dad sounded a little too serious as he gave my mother a knowing look. I set my fork down and glanced around at everyone else's plate. Good god, they were eating at a snail's pace. I should have been used to this new, slow world I was living in, but goddamn, every time I turned around, there was a new annoyance. I'm not on anything, I'm just... I glanced up at Gia and she gave a little shrug, leaving me on my own. Hungry. Matt, haven't you been feeding my daughter? (laughs) Matt, who hadn't been saying a lot all night, paused with a bit of pork halfway to his mouth. Uh... Leave him alone, Dad. Lainey eats fine. (laughs) She's been talking fast, too. I was starting to wonder if she's on the Yeo. They just call it Coke now, Carmen. Jesus, I'm not on cocaine! Is it wedding jitters? Mom refilled her glass with wine and then put it next to my plate. You know, some of this might help. It's definitely not wedding jitters. Matt and I are very excited to get married. I slid my eyes over to my fiancé, who was watching Gia hide asparagus in her mashed potatoes. Matt? His eyes snapped up to mine. No one has jitters. Everything is great. Well, how are the centerpieces? And the wedding favors. It's all great, Carmen. Hey, little man, don't feed the dog. Oh my god, Wyatt, really? Gia jumped out of her seat to stop her young son from trying to feed his asparagus to Butcher, my dad's Doberman. At least learn to hide it. I don't like it. I don't either. Maybe we can get Grandma to make Supa Toscana next time. Supa Toscana? Why on earth would you want that? (laughs) You hate spicy food. I frowned at her. What are you talking about? It's my favorite. As I recall, it's your sister's favorite. What? (laughs) Zupa Toscana has always been too spicy for you. It's Gia's favorite. But I'm glad to hear you're becoming more open in a culinary sense, Lane. Hey, Wyatt, you know who does eat their asparagus? No. I think you do. No! Oh, dang. I've been telling all my friends that I know Batman. Guess I'll have to go back and tell them I don't know Batman after all. Oh, that'll be so embarrassing. I'll eat him. Wyatt began furiously shoveling greens into his mouth. You're so good with him, Matt. That'll bode well for us once we're parents, I guess. Matt definitely got the dad gene. When no one responded, I looked up to understand why the silence was so uncomfortable. 
Everyone was looking down at their plates. What? <clears throat> well, nothing. I just... We think you should maybe get the wedding out of the way first. Dad's wink tried to break the tension. It's only a couple of months away, Dad. What is? Uh, our wedding? I was incredulous that he was confused about what we were talking about. Everyone at the table shared a look that I couldn't decipher. What now? I let the fork drop loudly onto my plate. Dad recovered first. Your wedding is on Saturday, Elena. He said it carefully. He looked confused. Mom looked worried. Gia was definitely panicked. And Matt? He didn't seem to be paying attention at all. The wedding is in January. Lane. Matt raised his eyes to mine. It is January. No, it's... It's November. Gia? I needed her to back me up on this. The wedding's on Saturday, Lainey. Five days from now. What? I pulled my phone out of my pocket. Jesus, it was January? Fucking January 9th? My eyes snapped back to Gia. The same fear I felt clear on her face. She forced her face into a nonchalant look. <laughs> Everybody relax. Lane's just under a lot of stress right now. Wedding stuff. We'll get her a massage and a bottle of champagne. She'll catch up. I hope so. It's pretty late in the game to be so disorganized, Lainey. It is. Very late. Gia looked directly at me. I tried to hide my welling panic by grabbing the bottle of Cabernet from my mother and pouring myself another glass. The conversation awkwardly moved on and I slowly sipped my wine, adding nothing to it. Maybe drinking would solve my problems. Maybe it would slow me back down so that I was in sync with the world again. Maybe I'd just have to be drunk every day of my life until I was dead. I shrugged. The way time was going, I'd have kids in college the next time I woke up. The alcohol didn't help. Everything stayed the same or got even more confusing. By the end of the night, I was so drunk, I was slurring my words. My theory that it might put me in sync with everyone else was solidly disproved. Apparently, I just ended up sounding like a crazy person, and my parents made me sleep it off in their guest room. Matt offered to drive Gia and Wyatt home. He kissed me on the head and promised me he was coming back for me. God knew that would feel like an eternity. But I did sleep. And when I couldn't sleep anymore, I laid in the dark trying to figure out how to go to war with my own brain. It was sometime later, in the dead of night, that I felt the tug and the gnash of teeth. The pain was in my thigh this time. Something was pulling at it. Something was eating. Of course I knew what it was. It ate with a hunger. Like I was the only thing to eat for miles. It tore at my flesh with a frenzied greed and I could feel it all. You're not real. It wasn't. It was all in my head. But it didn't care that I'd spoken to it. It just kept eating me. I could see my leg moving under the blanket as it tore through the muscle. I heard a rip. No! 
I threw the cover off me. It was the black thing from the woods, so much smaller when it was eating me. In fact, looking down, it had eaten much of my leg away. I screamed. I screamed, and this time it didn't stop. It just kept eating. I kicked at it, ripping my leg away from its mouth. No! My father threw the door open. Lainey! It ate me! It's eating my leg, Dad! And when I looked down to show him, there was no blood, no tears, not even a scratch on my skin. And the creature was gone. Wait, calm down. You've just had a nightmare. Where's Matt? I need Matt! He's here. We were just down in the kitchen talking. Matt! What time is it? It's later than you think, baby. What goddamn time, Dad? 2.10 in the morning. It's two? What time did Matt get back? A couple hours ago. What have you guys been talking about for two hours? Lane. Why was he gone so long? Lane! Matt burst into the room. He came straight to the bed and knelt on the floor. Jesus, I heard you screaming from the bathroom. What's wrong? What happened, baby? You want to go home, Matt? I grabbed onto him like I never wanted him to leave because I didn't. Matt wrapped his arms around me and laid us down on the bed. Shh, shh, shh. We'll go home as soon as you're feeling calmer. He rubbed my back and whispered in my ear his words like a sedative. Dad gave my arm a squeeze and left the room. I'm with you, Lane. I'm not leaving you again tonight. Just breathe, baby. My breathing eventually slowed as I relaxed into Matt's arms. But I didn't fall back asleep. Instead, I spent the many, many hours left of the night staring out the big bay window into the neighborhood I grew up in. And like the outskirts of the city the night before, there was a dark wall of nothing beyond the houses. An emptiness that felt truly void. My world was shrinking. When I woke up the following morning, the sun was out, which was unexpected. Night seemed to last forever in this new world of mine. Maybe even more confusing was that I woke up in my own home. I could hear voices from the kitchen. I listened lazily and tried to follow the conversation as I shook off the deep layers of sleep. Now is not a good time for you to do this. It's for the best for her. It's for the best for you. And for her. Waiting isn't going to make it any easier. It was always going to happen, and I shouldn't have let the wedding get this far. Lainey, oh my god, Lainey's going to be crushed. I was now wide awake. Matt was, what, in love with someone else about to call off the wedding? I sat up in bed, clutching the covers to my chest and listened for more. I know. I gotta go. Where? You know where I'll be. I'm sorry, Gia. I sat frozen as I listened to him leave. Our garage door opening, the Mazda we bought together backing out of the driveway, and then I heard the soft sound of tears. What's wrong, Mommy? Nothing. Nothing. Go play. What is Uncle Matt? He went to the gym, baby. Now go. 
I heard Wyatt run into our living room. I slowly stood up from the bed and padded out of my room into the kitchen. As soon as Gia saw my face, she knew. You heard? What I heard? What I heard is Matt telling you he is in love with someone else. My voice broke on the last word and Gia turned away from me, her hand on her chest. She took a moment before she spoke, but she didn't turn around. How could you forget, Elena? It was quiet, but I heard it. What? Sobs racked my body. How could you not remember what happened that night? I snapped. Unhinged, I began to swing back and forth between uncontrolled rage and drowning in pain. What night? What the fuck are you talking about, Gia? The man I have been with for five years is fucking cheating on me! She spun around, angry now, too. You need to figure out what the fuck is wrong with you. What's wrong with me? Yes, you. It's not your brain, it's you. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, Don't pretend this is a huge shock to you. You've always known that there was someone else. You've just been pretending that you don't. And all along, I've been sitting here quietly waiting for you to realize it so I can support you. But even when he makes it obvious as fuck, out of sheer desperation, you continue to deny what you know about him. Get the fuck out of my house. I swept a dirty wine glass from God knows when off the counter. It sailed lazily through the air before landing in a disinterested, slowed shatter. And you didn't tell me. Gia didn't even blink. Matt goes to the gym all the time, doesn't he? I said nothing. But the gym bag is always in the closet, isn't it? He's gone for long hours. He only answers the phone about half the time. He's been wanting to talk to you about something. You're saying that this is my fault? No, it's his fucking fault. I am saying that you have known it was happening for a while, but you've been lying to yourself. Well, here we are, my smarty fucking pants sister who figured it all out before me, but didn't bother to fucking tell me. You clearly didn't want to hear it. You're still not ready to hear it. Because it doesn't make sense. Matt loves me. The anger bled out of Gia's face, and she suddenly just looked very sad and tired. He does. He does love you, Lainey. He just told me. that he's sleeping with someone else. He's not right for you. Cut him loose. It's done. She shook her head while staring at the floor as if she was already tired of it, like this was too much for her. A burden on her fucking back. My anger returned like a bucket of fire poured on my soul. Gia? Just because you're a single mom who can't hold down a man doesn't mean that I can't. It was bad. I knew it was bad as soon as it was out. But Gia didn't tell me to fuck off. She just looked defeated. My anger disappeared as fast as it had arrived. And in the absence of its intensity, all that was left to feel was pain. Time is running out for you, Lainey. It's too late for me, but not for you. You need to wake up. Gia's eyes dropped back to the floor and she walked out of the room. I heard her gather up Wyatt and walk out the same door that Matt had closed on us 15 minutes before. As soon as I heard her car back out of the driveway, I slid down the refrigerator onto a puddle on the floor. 
everything was wrong in the world. It was all too slow-moving and nothing was right. There were so many times Matt had disappeared. Not just to the gym, to places like the bar or with friends or Home Depot. But what Gia had said was true. He went to the bar for hours and came home sober. He drove across town to Home Depot and returned without any bags. Jesus Christ, she was right. He hadn't even tried to hide it. He'd been trying to get caught because he was too much of a pussy to fucking tell me. But then I remembered all the times he said we need to talk and I blew it off because deep down I knew. I knew. And I was never going to admit it to myself, much less let him say it. Jesus Christ, what else was I suppressing? Gia kept telling me to remember that night. The night of the crash. There wasn't much in my control right now, and I wasn't ready to talk to Matt, so maybe I would try and talk to Alex. If everything was connected to that night, I might as well start at the beginning. The phone rang twice before Alex picked up. Does this mean you're not mad at me anymore? I'm still mad, I think. But I need information. It's a long time to be mad, Lainey. You haven't talked to me in months. I took a slow breath. Don't trust time. It's not the same for you. I put the phone on speaker and then paced around my kitchen and living room. I needed to keep my head as much as possible. Matt's cheating, my existential crisis, the unpredictable flow of time. It was all becoming too fucking much. Alex, what was different about the mushrooms you gave me that night? Nothing. That night in the basement, you guys said the mushrooms were special. Yeah, special because they came from Amsterdam. Dylan smuggled them back. I pinched the bridge of my nose. But why did they kick in so early? Was it because I hadn't eaten? It hit about 20 minutes in, and I was already on the road. No, you weren't. Yeah, Alex, I was. Okay, first off, lay off the meth. You're talking really fast. And second, you were in the basement when they kicked in. No, I wasn't. I was only down there for 15 minutes. Lainey, you mastered poke war rummy. It was an hour at least. You were tripping balls when you left. What the fuck, Alex? I was down there for an hour? At least. Why the fuck did you let me drive home? Because I was also on a mushroom trip and thought cars were what dinosaurs evolved into. I dropped the phone to my chest. Holy fuck. Just breathe. I brought the phone back up to my ear. Was I in a wreck that night? I don't know. You seemed fine the next day. Was your car wrecked? Fuck. I gotta go. I hung up on Alex and spent an undeterminable amount of time thinking, pacing around the house. Eventually, I found myself out in the garage, inspecting my car again. It was parked normal. It looked normal. No scuffs, scratches, or dents I didn't recognize. The accident was three days ago for me, months for everyone else, but the car looked the same as always. I walked over to the driver's side door and got in, slamming it closed behind me and then hit the clicker to open the garage. As the light slowly lit up the car from top to bottom, I noticed something. A stain. At first, it was just one that I saw, a small puddle of brown on the leather of the center console. But then, I saw more. On the floor, by my feet. 
and when I turned around, on the seat I was sitting on. I threw the car door open and fell out of it, turning to look at the driver's side seat as a whole. Blood was everywhere. And it was my blood. Oh my God. It was only out of habit alone that I called Matt. I knew I was brokenhearted. I knew I was unbelievably mad. I knew we weren't going to get married, but I was drowning and I needed someone to grab me. He answered after a few rings. Lane. Where are you? I was trying to stop my hand from shaking the phone right out of it as I climbed back to my feet. I'm at the gym. Matt, I need help. I know that there's a lot of shit to say between us, but please just tell me where to go and tell me someplace to meet you because I need help. There was silence for a moment and then he spoke. His voice softened. Just meet me at Gia's. I slammed on the brakes outside of my sister's small house on Poplar. Matt and Gia were on the porch talking, but as soon as he saw my car, Matt hopped over the railing and came running towards me. My entire body was shaking, and I stumbled out of the car, falling onto the pavement. But suddenly Matt was there, pulling me into his chest. Laney, what's look, going on? Look, right there. Look, look. Do you see it? Do you see all the blood? Do you see, just look at the seat and the floor? Please tell me that you see it, Matt. I'm looking. He was staring down into the cab of the car. Show me where. I gaped at him. It's everywhere! It's everywhere! Just look! I bent down and started pointing out the huge stains that he would have to be blind to miss. I watched his eyes slowly go from alert and searching to fear and some amount of grief. He stopped looking into the car and brought his eyes to my face. You don't see it. Do you? Matt's eyes rose to mine, and I read the answer in them. Lainey, I'm going to call an ambulance. You don't have to be scared anymore. Matt, please? I won't leave you, even for a moment. I'm going to take care of you. He squeezed me tightly once more and then walked towards Gia's house. I watched him climb the stairs to the porch, phone to his ear, until he disappeared inside. My eyes fell back down to the huge stains on the upholstery, and I felt my sister step up behind me. She wrapped her arms around me and leaned her head on my shoulder. I wish you loved me more, Lainey. I sniffled, trying to bury the tears. You know I love you to pieces, Gia. She squeezed me tight. Pieces is right. You love me right into pieces. Can you see it, Gia? I felt her nodding against my shoulder. I can see it. So why can't he? I turned around to look at her. Gia dropped her arms and stepped back, giving me a sad half-smile. Because he's not really here. I looked back into the car. Am I dead? No, you're not dead. Is anyone really here? A smile fell from Gia's face. I'm here. So I'm not alone. No. I gestured around. Has all of this already happened? She frowned. 
None of it has happened, Lenny. I stared at her, trying to figure it all out, trying to figure any of it out. How do you know so much? She shook her head. <sighs> you really won't tell me? I have to go pick up Wyatt from Mom and Dad's house. You're not going to wait here for the ambulance? What ambulance? She genuinely looked confused. The one that Matt just called. Gia looked shocked for a moment and then slowly recovered, schooling her features into a calm look. She took my hands in hers. What day do you think it is, Lenny? I stared at her and answered honestly. I, I honestly don't know anymore. She squeezed my hands and smiled. It's your wedding day. I scoffed, speechless for a moment. <laughs> I think you and I both know that it isn't. Gia suddenly dropped my hands to clap hers together, an immediate excited energy surrounding her. Go to the church, Lainey. She started walking back towards her house. You're probably already late for the hair people. Right. Well, time was like water. Just because mine was speeding up and slowing down randomly, it did not mean it was going any other direction than forward. I looked down at my car and climbed warily back into the driver's seat, sitting on puddles of dried blood. My blood. It should have made me disturbed or ill, but I felt like it was progress instead. I was remembering things, slowly, but good or bad, I was remembering things. I had to take the two to get to St. Philip's Episcopal, and on the way there I wondered if there would be anything to see, anything to jog my memory a bit more. Maybe some truth would bleed through. Maybe the guardrail would be broken now. Maybe the trees would be trampled. But all I saw was a new set of skid marks. They skidded into a perfectly intact guardrail, and I knew they hadn't been there before. They could have been mine from that night, or they could have been someone else's, a different car that had managed to right itself. I pulled over next to them anyway. I didn't get out of the cars, there wasn't much to see. I knew it was daylight, but the woods were dark, very dark. In fact, they were pitch black beyond the tree line, lacking even vague shapes. I leaned forward and tried to see beyond the void, but it was all empty. There was nothing on the other side, just like the edge of town, just like my parents' neighborhood. I didn't jump this time when I saw the creature. Perhaps because it was moving so slow. It was bigger than I'd ever seen it. It was so large that it towered up to the sky and cast a shadow over the entire highway and beyond. It was eating. Eating the trees. Eating it all. Shrinking my world even more. My eyes snapped to my hand, my leg, where the thing had been eating me all this time. But as usual, there were no cuts or scars to be seen. Instead, my eye was drawn to the passenger's seat. Because there was something new there. Something I knew had probably been there all along. Something that I couldn't see until right then. Blood. I wasn't alone. And I never had been.
I parked the car outside the church next to Gia's. Friends and family were arriving, but no one paid me any attention or even seemed to notice me, the bride, at all. It was as if they were just going through the motions like actors in a play. They greeted each other, they shook hands, they talked quietly as they walked towards the chapel, but their slow, roving eyes never hesitated on my face, even once. It was January, or so I was told, but I was still dressed for early November. I pulled my hoodie tighter around me and began walking towards the front door of the church. I wasn't sure what I would find inside, but I hoped to God it was answers. I was halfway down the stone path when I heard a squeal from behind the parking lot. <laughs> I knew that laugh. I quickly changed directions and followed the excited shrieking of my nephew to the cemetery next to the church. <laughs> Wyatt was running between the tombstones, chasing squirrels. Gia was leaning against one as well, watching her son. I made my way across the small graveyard toward my sister, and I sat down across from her. Gia didn't spare me a glance. I took in the tea-length violet gown that Gia wore. She had her knees bent and the short skirt tucked around them, covering as much skin as possible. I had chosen this dress for the bridal party simply because I liked the color and the style. I hadn't considered how inappropriately short it was for this time of year. Oh, I miss this. She was smiling as she watched her son jumping up towards the squirrel-laden branches of a tree. Miss what? She had started, as if she hadn't noticed I was there, but she still didn't look at me. Her eyes continued to track Wyatt. Shouldn't you be getting ready? I don't know. I answered quietly, because I didn't. She flicked her eyes over to me and took in my hoodie and jeans. What don't you know? I gestured around the courtyard. What this is? If any of it's real? Gia's eyes dropped to the grass between us, and she nodded. I think you know it's not. I took a deep breath and blew it out slowly. Gia, why is there so much blood in my car? I think you know the answer to that, too. Gia's eyes found her son again. I'm sorry it has to end. I like it here. I miss Wyatt. What do you mean? What happened to Wyatt? Instead of answering, Gia nodded up at the rapidly darkening sky on the other side of the church. You know what that is? No. I looked toward the darkness nervously. It was a dark storm, a black storm. Everything is getting eaten up. She nodded towards my legs. Even you. I looked down and gasped. Underneath my jeans, the skin of my legs looked misshapen and bumpy. Dark brown spots were quickly spreading on the denim. In a frenzy, I ripped the jeans apart by the holes, exposing the angry, torn flesh underneath. The flesh was devoured, just as I had seen when the creature was eating me. But it didn't hurt. Not anymore. What is this? What's happening to me, Gia? It's eating you. I've tried to tell you. It is eating everything. She pointed again towards the sky over the church. The wall of nothing was coming. <laughs> what is it? I was still gripping the torn denim of my jeans. What is the creature? Gia looked at me and sighed as if she'd already told me a thousand times. <sighs> it's time, Lainey. Time? Yes. I've told 
told you that. It's later than I think. Yes. You will die if you don't remember it soon. What am I supposed to remember? And how? Gia, help me! Mommy, look! Butterflies! Wyatt yelled from across the courtyard, pointing up at the sky. I saw nothing above him. Gia smiled at him and then turned back to me. Look up, Lainey. I looked up into an infinite hollow sky. So dark it looked like a black hole moving toward me, filling up every horizon. No light escaped it, none at all. And then there was something there in the dark. I could see the barest of outlines, something with definition. A box with sharp corners. And as it came down closer, I realized it was a door falling down on me through the ether. I reached out toward the knob. It was cold. I gripped it. I heard an excited hum on the other side. I turned the knob and pushed. Party met me on the other side of the basement door, still in full swing. Eric, who'd been whispering in some redhead's ear, saw me immediately. Laney! Holy shit, what happened to you? What the hell is going on in that basement? <laughs> An orgy! <laughs> I corrected them. No orgy. Just cards. I have to go. Holy shit, I was out of it. This didn't feel like a good place to be. There was too much happening up here. Too many eyes, too many voices. The floorboards were longer and the lights brighter. What was I supposed to do again? Oh yeah, keys, car, home. Okay, keys I had. I gripped them tightly in my hand. Next, car. I had to find my car before I was too small to get in. I could feel myself shrinking in this room. Everyone was getting taller and I knew that soon someone would step on me. I somehow made it outside without attracting any attention. It took me a few minutes to find my car because I wasn't entirely sure what it looked like anymore. This one felt like mine, even if it looked totally unfamiliar to me. I put the key in the lock and turned, waiting to see if it would unlock. It did. If this wasn't my car, it was a damn convincing replica someone had put there. Laney! I knew that voice. That was a person of mine. Gia. What the hell are you doing in the basement for so long? Are we really only just leaving now? Calm down. I was saying goodbye to Alex, and I was playing a few hands of cards. Is this my car? Gia narrows her eyes at me. How much did you have to drink? I told you it was half a drink. Did she not believe me? Maybe she wasn't a person of mine. My sister always believed me. Should I trust her? Maybe I didn't know this person at all. And it was a weak one that I poured myself. Good. Precious cargo. I raised my eyebrow at her. What was in the car? What was precious? I wanted to ask her. Instead, I said, I remember. Good. This so-called Gia opened the passenger side door. Drive careful, okay? This time of year, there's a lot of deer out there, and we are taking the back roads. I don't know what you mean by that. 
I opened the door and sat down in the driver's seat, buckling my seatbelt. I looked over at Gia, confused to see her climb into the car seat next to me. Was she coming with me? I've got to go. I was hoping she'd get out of the car. She looked like my sister, I had no doubt of that, but this was a strange version of her, speaking in riddles like a sinister clone. So go. She shrugged, then took out her phone and started texting. I frowned, then debated which gear was reverse. R didn't look quite right, but something told me that it was. I put the car in reverse and made it out into the road. Gia was frowning and pounding the keys on her phone. Who are you talking to? Perhaps she was talking to the real Gia. Perhaps this person was being told what to say to convince me she was my real sister. But why would the real Gia do this to me? The woman next to me shut her phone off and dropped it on top of her purse. No one? She turned to glance out the window. Fuck. Fuck. I knew it. I know who you were talking to. I sped the car up and gripped the wheel tight. Stay between the lines. Just stay between the lines. What do you mean? She looked back at me. She looked... Fuck. She looked guilty. I know who you're talking to. How the fuck could my own sister do this to me? (laughs) I didn't look at her. I couldn't. Gia looked nervous. I didn't do anything to you, Lainey. Her phone started vibrating with the call and she ignored it. Not you, Gia. Gia's expression went from anxious to something else? Confusion, maybe? Her phone started ringing again in her lap. Lainey, I am Gia. It's not gonna work, what you guys are doing. What are you talking about? Fear. I definitely heard fear. You know what the fuck I'm talking about. Ha 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 Her phone began to ring for the third time. Aren't you gonna get that? And tell her that I have figured you two out. Her who, Lainey? Her Gia! Ugh, fine, I'll tell her myself. I grabbed the cell phone off her just as it started to ring for the fourth and final time. Lainey, stop! But it was too late. I'd already hit answer. Hello, this is Lainey, the real Lainey. Stop the bullshit. She won't admit it, but I know that you two are playing me. There was a hesitant pause and then an anxious voice. Hey, Lainey. It was Matt. My Matt, not Gia. What are you doing? Nothing. Have you left the party yet? I did, yes. I'm on the two now. Why are you calling this girl who calls herself my fucking sister? My eyes flipped the nervous doppelganger in the passenger seat. Baby, I was just, uh... There was a beat of silence. I can't do this anymore. Lainey, I think you know why I'm calling Gia. What is that supposed to mean? I stared down at the road in front of me. Stay in the lines. I really wanted to tell you in person. I looked over at this thing, pretending to be Gia. He's about to tell me everything. She suddenly looked very afraid. Lane, what is wrong with your eyes? Jesus, are you on something? I frowned at her, of course I was. It's about Gia, and I know you know what I'm gonna say. No, I don't. Fuck, yes you do. 
I love her, Lainey. Okay. We've been seeing each other for years. She's my fucking soulmate. What does that mean? Jesus, Lainey. You're really gonna make me say all of it. But I said nothing. Because I was focused on something else. A creature. Black and gangly. Running alongside my car. It was familiar to me like it had always been there. I knew this creature just like I already knew the words Matt was saying to me. They'd both always been there inside of me. The ghost and the truth. I can't marry you. The creature crashed into the side of the car, pushing it into the opposite lane. I swerved, but kept control of the car. The imposter beside me screamed. Laney, what was that? Was that Gia? The thing was still there, running beside me. I swerved into it, hitting the creature sidelong and sending its long black body flying over the trees and into the woods. The girl next to me screamed in my ear. Oh! Lane, what are you doing? Matt yelled into the phone. Laney, what's going on? Elena, do you hear me? Oh my god, oh my god, oh what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck is that thing? As if called to us by my broken questions, the thing again came into my periphery. It was on the opposite side now, charging the passenger side door, head bent low in a charge. Let me talk to Gia. No! I screamed and jerked the wheel just as the creature hit us. The car jerked left and smashed into the guardrail and immediately flipped. Rolling, rolling, rolling as Gia was screaming, screaming, screaming. Please stop, I thought. I don't want to die. The ringing bells in the chapel's tower brought me back to the little cemetery. It's time. Gia climbed to her feet, pointing upwards. The entire sky was a void. All that I could see now, all that existed anymore, was this tiny church and this tiny graveyard we were sitting in. Gia, what happened to you? She said nothing at first, simply watched the people going in and out of the church. Only now did I notice how they were quiet, somber, how they were all dressed in black. You know, you died in the crash, didn't you? Gia knelt down in front of me and moved a lock of hair from my face. She smiled at me slowly and then nodded to something behind me. I turned around and my eyes fell to the words on the tombstone I was leaning against. No. Look at me, Lainey. Focus. It's too late for me, but not for you. Oh my god. I killed you? I killed my sister? Lainey? And you, you, you were with Matt? You were sleeping with my fiancé? How could you do that to me? Gia's eyes dropped from mine and she stood up, gesturing around at our quickly darkening world. It's getting late, Lainey. I killed you! You're my sister, and you're dead, and you're a bitch! I, I don't know how I'm supposed to fucking feel! You need to wake up. It's coming, 
I can't. I can't go back. Not to a world where you're dead, where the two people I love the most in the world betrayed me so much I wish I was dead. Gia fell down in front of me and grabbed my shoulders. No, no, you don't wish that. Listen to me, Lainey. I know what's in the real world. I've seen what you're going back to. They need you. Wyatt needs you. Please, please, don't blame him for my mistakes. With Matt, it, it, it just happened. I don't know how. And he needs you, too. He loves you, Lainey. He fucked up with me. I know he knows, but he needs you. Wyatt needs you. Mom and Dad need you. Please don't die. Wake up. I don't want to go back. Lainey, please wake up before it eats you all away. I can't. I can't. I'd rather die than face all that shit. Please. Please. You are my sister and I love you. Do this for me. For my son. He's so little and he has no father now. He needs a mom. He needs his aunt. You are his godmother. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I cried into my hands. The church was now gone. The gravestones were disappearing in the rolling tide of darkness. It was just me and Gia now. Elena, don't be afraid. It's too late for me, but everything is still waiting for you. A life, a family, a career... Life is beautiful. You're beautiful. They are all waiting for you. All you need to do is wake up. I wiped my sleeves across my wet face. How? She took both of my hands in hers. Close your eyes. Listen. What do you hear? I heard the wind. I heard the creature eating, eating everything away. It was getting closer and closer. But then, I thought maybe I heard something else. The beep of a machine? More than one? A hushed conversation? I hear... a... a room. What else? I listened harder. An intercom? And I feel... pain. You're doing it! Wake up, Lainey! Everything felt heavy, like I no longer had control over my body. It smelled like bleach and everything hurt. Open your eyes. Open your eyes, Lane. I opened them, but it was harder than I thought it would be. They were heavy, weighed down. And when I tried to lift my lids, the light got in and it burned. Christ, turn the lights off. I knew that voice. I knew it. I tried to say his name, but it came out as air and a wheeze. Matt! He was here. The room was suddenly darker. I could feel it. Someone pawed at me, took my vitals, perhaps, murmured excitedly. Is she... is she gonna live? He was scared. I could hear it. I heard another man's voice say something about going to get the doctor. I heard the man leave the room, and I tried to call out to Matt again. I struggled to open my eyes, and I found that everything was blurry. It took time to adjust, but I thought I could see his figure. 
He came closer to the bed and I could make out more. He was tall and handsome, just like always. His hair was different, longer and darker. I tried to swallow, make my mouth less dry. Every word was agony. <clears throat> how, how long? Too long. He sat next to me on the bed. Gia. His eyes fell away from mine. She didn't make it. I closed my eyes from some relief of the strain of vision. I had already known that. I'm so happy you're finally awake, Lainey. They tried to take you off life support so many times. I kept blocking them. Injunctions, political pressure, the public. I spent every dime I had blocking them. I'm sorry. My throat felt like gravel. But they finally won. They finally won. They were gonna turn it all off on Friday and let you die. I'd exhausted every legal route I had, but then you woke up. I tried to reach out a hand to him, but everything was so heavy. After all these years, you woke up. I tried to understand his words in the cobwebs of my mind. Years? He turned his head towards me and nodded. I squinted. I could see him a little better when I did. He didn't look that much older. He noticed what I was doing and smiled. Yeah, I'm 31. <laughs> you said I took a deep breath and tried again god everything hurt so much years Matt cocked his head to the side who do you think I am Lainey I didn't answer because I didn't understand the question oh you think I'm Matt your fiance no you are Matt. He laughed. <laughs> it was an ugly sound. No. I'm Wyatt. I closed my eyes and turned my head away from him. That didn't make sense. So it wasn't true. He laughed again. <laughs> Hide all you like, Aunt Laney. It doesn't make it any less true. I shook my head. No, Wyatt was three years old. I felt someone grip my chin. It was tight, but not painful. The man turned my head back toward him. Open your fucking eyes and I'll tell you a story. I refused. Brought my arm up to hide my eyes, but felt nothing on my face. Ah, that's okay. You can just listen. So, when I was three, my mom went to her sister's lame bachelorette party, which happened to be someone else's birthday party. And it was just the two of them. My Aunt Lainey was kind of a loser. <laughs> so at the end of the night, she was supposed to drive my mom back to her house where Aunt Lainey's fiancé was watching me while they went out. Then my mom would take me home. Yeah, that was the plan. But guess what Aunt Lainey did? Something very naughty. Aunt Lainey did magic mushrooms. And then she got in the car with my mom and drove away from the party. Tripping on psychedelics, she drove home in a car with my mom. And guess what happened? Aunt Lainey's fiancé called, and he told her something she didn't like. He told her that he was in love with my mother, and that he wasn't going to marry her. 
And do you know what Aunt Lainey did then? I opened my eyes and I saw the rage and pain in his. Yes, I remember what I did then. Aunt Lainey crashed the car and killed my mother. Killed her. And Lainey ended up in a coma. And I went to live with my mom's parents. Ah, but the story isn't over. See, Aunt Lainey was on life support for so many years that my grandparents went broke paying her medical bills, trying to keep their only remaining child alive. And then Grandma got sick, and there was no money to treat her. She died within a year. And my grandpa just disappeared, ran away from everything. And the court decided I would live with my dad, Matt Stoneberg. He'd been depressed, you see. That's why he couldn't take me in when my mom died. He raised me as best he could. And the day after my 18th birthday, he drove his car off a bridge. He didn't leave a note, but I know it was the guilt. He blamed himself for my mother's death. Oh, and he hated you. Matt. Matt was dead. I'd killed him, too. If I could cry, I knew I would be, but I didn't know this body I was in, and I couldn't make it listen to me. You got that he's my dad, right? I heard the smile in Wyatt's voice. Of course I knew. I think I'd always known it. Wyatt had looked like Matt since he turned one year old. I'd seen it. Everyone had. But I'd convinced myself it wasn't true. Oh, don't get upset. It's not all bad. You want to know why? I closed my eyes. There was a gleeful sheen in Wyatt's eye, one that I didn't want to know the cause of. This boy, this little boy, now my fully grown nephew. I heard drawers opening and closing as he searched for something. We have to be quick. Dr. Patel is coming. After a moment, he must have found what he was looking for because I felt him sit down next to me on the bed. He pushed a button somewhere, which lifted my back and head. He raised it until I was fully sitting up and then released the button. Here, look. I could have kept my eyes shut. Could have kept him from getting the satisfaction. Come on, I've been waiting all my life for this. Open your eyes, Aunt Laney. Whatever there was to see, I would have to see it anyway. I would have to know. So, I opened my eyes. The lights were on in the room again. It burned just a little less than before, but it was the image before me that truly hurt. I didn't know this old woman in the mirror. My hair was short and thin. My face looked 60 years old, maybe. Maybe I was. But I had just been 25, and now all those years were gone? You're a looker, eh? <laughs> he giggled, just like when he was a kid. I didn't know this person looking back at me. But you want to know the best part? I couldn't take my eyes off the stranger in the mirror, so I couldn't tell him no. It's this. He dropped the mirror into my lap. Well, what I had left of one. The sheets were flat and empty where my legs should be. One leg was a stub, the other non-existent. So I tried to grab the sheets and pull them away from my body to see what else was missing, but there was nothing to grab them with. No hands, no arms. Quadruple amputee! 
Wyatt clapped his hands. I had nothing to do with that. That was karma. That was the universe. It was also the reason I had to fight so hard to keep you on life support. No. My voice was gaining a little strength. No quality of life was their argument. His voice dropped low. Personally, I agreed with them. I coughed. I couldn't breathe. I searched again for my voice. I had to know, and somehow I knew he would know. Why? I could hear people coming down the hallway. Why what? Why did she send me back here? Who? My heart rate monitor was making an angry and insistent beeping sound. It was fast and agitated like my heart. I could see shapes filling the room behind my nephew, rushing to save me, to keep me alive, trapped in this fucking prison. Gia. Wyatt simply shrugged. Well, maybe she hated you as much as I do. It's Later Than You Think. Written by C.K. Walker for the No Sleep Podcast. Starring Kate Siegel as Elena, Samantha Sloyan as Gia, David Cummings as Matt, Lindsay Russo as Alex, Mick Wingert as the dad, Marie Westbrook as the mom, Katabel Ansari as Dr. Patel, Peter Lewis as Dr. Berg, Graham Rowett as Eric. Jeff Clement as Dylan, Aaron Lillis as the partygoer, and Erica Sanderson as Young Wyatt. This presentation was directed by Mick Wingert. Audio production by David Cummings. Musical score by Brandon Boone. The No Sleep Podcast is presented by Creative Reason Media. The musical composer is Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show, along with hundreds of hours of audio horror stories in our archives. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and for supporting our dark tales. This audio production is copyright 2023 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc.